Good morning. Glad to all see you here. If you were here with us last week, you know we started uh, a new series, and we were talking about last week, uh, New Year. Last week was the first Sunday of 2013, and we were talking about New Year's resolutions. And if you remember, uh, kind of lightly said, but a lot of times people's uh, resolutions last about five weeks before they start to drop those off. And so we're doing a five-week series on how to grow in Christ. And hopefully, uh, you know, they say five weeks is about when New Year's resolutions drop off. But then they also say that if you do something over and over for three weeks, you make a habit out of it and it starts to stick. So maybe we'll fall into the second category as we move into this and start to go forward. And so what we're doing in this series is we're just calling it simply growth in Christ, or we could call it growing in grace or uh, the fancy Bible word. When we talk about theology and things, we say sanctification, growing closer to God through the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our lives. And so that's what we were talking about last week. And we just hit the big overview, big idea last week in in second Peter chapter one and And uh, Peter says at the beginning, we hit on this right at the beginning last week, just big picture of what we're doing. He says at the beginning to those who have obtained a faith equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we talk about how our righteousness and our right standing before God is only through Christ alone and what he's done for us. And I want to say that right at the beginning and make sure that's so clear that as we start to walk through this and how do we really go after this and see this more clearly, we want to make sure that as we talk about the things that we do and the effort we put forth and the things that we seek after to grow closer to God, those things are not saving us. We are saved by Christ alone and Jesus and nothing else. And that when we start to do these things and go forward and make every effort and begin to do those, we're walking out the righteousness that we have before God through Christ. And now we're trying to walk it out in our life. And we want to make sure that we see that so clearly, you know, in second Peter, Peter goes on to say his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives us the power to now seek him and to follow him and to do these things. And then he ends up and this is what we talked about last week. And then he says, so, so in light of all this, make every effort. And then in verse 10, he said, and be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. And so that's what we've been talking about. And that's what we're going to talk about the next uh, four weeks of just ways that we can do that. Be more diligent and make every effort and to grow closer to God and to begin to seek that out and to walk that out. And so today we're going to start with uh, the first part of really kind of applying these and different things is we're going to start with God's word. We're going to be in Psalm 19. I read the first six verses for us. We're actually going to look at that whole chapter today. If you want to follow along in the Bibles, the Pew Bibles, we're going to be starting. It's it's actually between page 291 and 292. It starts there at the bottom of 291. And so that's what we're going to start with today, that that God and, and growing closer to him and making every effort and doing those things really begins with his word and seeking him through his word and the way that he's revealed himself to us. And so let's go to that. Let's go to Psalm 19. I'm going to read the rest of it. I read one to six as our call to worship this morning. I'm going to read seven to 14 and then we'll pray and then we'll just work our way through this psalm. And so starting in verse seven, Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. 
Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray and then we're going to look at that together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is pure and it is right and it is sure and that it is perfect and that we can come to it and open it and see your heart and who you are and the way you've revealed yourself to us. We pray this morning that your spirit would move in this place and that you would reveal to us exactly what you want us to see, that you would illuminate our minds and open our hearts and apply your word to us. We confess that we need you to do that, and without that, we are hopelessly lost. And so we ask you would come and move in this place today and show us exactly what you want us to see about your wonderful, glorious character and person. And I pray that you would do that this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we have together. We pray that you give us a tent of hearts to really hold fast to your word and apply it in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at Psalms 19, three things. Often we do three things. A lot of times three questions today. I'm going to give you one statement and then two questions following that up. And so the first, the statement is just simply this. We need a word. We need a word from God. When we talk about growing closer to him, we need a word from God Two, why do we need a word from God? Why do we need his word? And then lastly, what does it do? All right. So we need a word. Why do we need it? And then what does it do? So let's begin right there with we need a word. You know, Psalm 19, when you read it, is really divided up into three segments. You get the beginning that I read earlier this morning in uh, God's uh, natural revelation, what we can see about God and nature. And then you hit verse seven and you get the section about God's revealed word and what he's given us, his particular revelation and, and coming and talking to us and giving it to us in his word. And then at the end, you get this prayer. And so I want us just to start for a second with just that beginning, those first six verses that I read as we started this morning. And and just look at verses one and two with me. It says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And we get this idea right here at the beginning of Psalm 19 is that there are things that we can know about God through creation. The vastness and the beauty of creation and how great it is and just looking up at the stars in the sky and seeing it, you know, as it says there, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. The psalmist is telling us that we can know things about God just by looking around us in creation, that we can see things. That's what we often refer to as God's natural revelation. God's revealed things to us through nature, through his creation and what he's made. And we can see things just from that. And so we get that there in verses one to six. And so when you start to really think on that and you see that and you, you can know that to be true, there's certain things that we just can feel by looking around at the, the greatness of creation. If you've ever if you have, if you've never heard of it, maybe you should check out uh, Google Sky. Have you ever heard of that? There's there's Google Earth where you can look at maps of the earth and zoom all over. Well, now they have one called Google Sky and you can go and you can look at the stars. You can start with Earth and then you can zoom out. And you can see stars and stars and galaxies and all this incredible stuff. And when you look at it and you see it and you see the vastness of it, and then you come to Psalm 19 and what the psalmist is telling us and what God is telling us through his word is when you see the vastness of that, God's made all that just to show you that that's a little bit like me. That's just a just a taste of how great and how glorious and how big I am. 
And so there's things that we can know through God's word just from from seeing all around us. I'm sorry, through God's creation, we can see about him. But look at what it says in verse three. So verse two says day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So that just the day and night routine and seeing it in creation tells us about who God is. But then in verse three, it says there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And so you get this picture that, yes, we can know some things, but there aren't words. Just in creation that we can know some things about God, but we can't know everything about God. That we can know that he's glorious and great, but we don't know specifics about his love and his mercy and who he is and the way he relates to us just by looking at creation. And so we can see some things, but not all things. Right. Paul makes this argument in Romans one. He says that we're guilty before God because it is clear to us in creation. But then later he'll say in in chapter 10 that we need a word. We need those to hear and to be able to know who God is. And so we see that picture right here that we we know things about God, but we don't know everything about God. And we don't know all about his character in those things. I couldn't help but laugh and thinking about just back of when I was probably in like fifth, sixth grade around that time. If you remember that time at that age and and what it was like if you liked a girl or or you liked a boy and what it was like. and, and, And often what would happen is the way it went at that age was. You would say, I think that girl's cute or whatever, and you'd tell your buddies. And then maybe you would go to one of the friends of the girl and you would tell them and say, hey, find out if she likes me. And then it'd come back. Well, yeah, she kind of likes you, too. And then you would smile at each other or you would walk in the hallway and you go, hey, how are you? And that was it. That was the extent of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like her and uh, she's cute. And that's it. And there was no real depth. There was no real relationship there because there was no real self-revelation. There was no disclosure. There was no real talking, or at least it wasn't in my age at that time. Maybe it's a different now, but in my, in my life, that's the way it was. And, and there wasn't anything really going on. So there's only so much you can know just by seeing and observing and being a part. You, but we need to have that revelation to really know and to have any depth. And so when we start to talk about knowing God and growing closer to him, we can know some things in his natural revelation, but we need a word from God. We need him to reveal himself to us that we can know him and that we can grow closer to him. And so that's what we have in the Bible. And that's what we say we have in, in God's word. And so some people today will say some people will make the objection. Well, I don't really need the Bible. Uh, yeah, I believe in God and I'm spiritual. I go out in nature. That's my thing. I go out to the mountains or I go to the beach or I go to wherever. Or I've heard people say, my God is music. You know, I feel God moving in music and music is my thing. Or, or they'll say different things like that. And they'll say, I don't really need a, a word. I don't need your Bible. I don't need that because I've got this relationship with God. And I just say, maybe maybe that's you. Maybe that's kind of the way you look at things and those different things. And, and if that is, I want you just to think about that. For just a moment, if that's true, if if ultimately your God is you going out and being alone in nature and you don't need a word from God and it's just you, then then ultimately what happens is what you think about God and the world and your worldview and all those things are coming from you. Right. They're they're you. What what really you're saying is your God is yourself. I'm going to decide how I relate to God and I'm going to decide what things mean and how I do that. And so I want you just to consider that for a moment when we don't have anything outside of us and it just becomes us that that ultimately what we're doing is is our God is ourself uh, or, or, or some people will take it a different way. They'll say, I, I don't believe or, or I believe in God, but I'm not really sure about the Bible and and I'm not sure about that. But I do know this. I, I believe in a God of love. 
Maybe you've heard that before. I believe a God and a love, and I'm not sure about the Bible because the Bible talks about God being angry at sin. And there's some other things about God I'm not sure about. So I just believe in a God of love. In his book, Reason for God, Tim Keller brings up this very thing. And he says his question is my question to people when they say that is where did you get that idea? Where did you get the idea that you believe in a God of love? Is it from looking at nature? Did you intuit that from God's natural revelation that God is a God of love? I would say, and this is the argument Keller makes, and I would agree with him. Uh, Have you ever watched the animal planet? Have you ever actually watched what happens in nature? I've watched it with my boys, and there's been times where they're like, turn this off, I'm going to have nightmares. Right? The leopard chasing down the animal and devouring it and all those things. And you go, well, did you get that there's a God of love from just watching that? Right? What Keller makes in his argument, in his book, and, and again, I'm agreeing with him on this, is the idea of a God of love comes from the Bible. We get it from God's revelation in his word to us. And that's how we know of a God of love. And so when we say things like, I believe in a God of love, but I don't believe in the Bible, you're going to run into some problems there. Because you don't naturally get that from nature. So the, the, the point we're making is there's limits to what we can know about God just by observing in nature. We need a word from God. Right? So that takes us to the second part. Why do we need it? You know, sometimes people will say, well, maybe the Bible is God's word. Maybe it is the way he's revealed it to us. And maybe so. And maybe there is a God and maybe there's all those things. And maybe there is an ultimate judgment. And we'll stand before God. Well, I'll find out when I die. I've heard people say that. Well, I'm not sure, but I'll. We'll we'll sort it out later. And so the question would be, well, why do we need to hear from God right now? The biggest reason, as we talked about last week, is we need to be reconciled with God because of our sin. And that's happened through Christ. Right. That's over all this. And I'll make sure I keep saying that the gospel is over this. We've been saved by what Jesus does for us, not what we do for ourselves. But once we become saved and we're seeking to follow God, why do we need a word? Why do we need his word and to follow him in those? The way I want to think about that for just a second, why we need it is just simply to consider who God is and who we are. Because when we start to get a clear biblical grasp of what that is, it becomes very apparent that we need God's word. When we consider who God is, if, if you were with us, you know, last year we did an overview series of the Bible. And right about this time last year, a year ago, we started walking through the Bible and we were talking about the way uh, uh, creation And who God is and how he begins and what we talked about simply is that God is. God is eternal. God has always been that there is creation and there is creator and that God is creator and he's always existed. And when we were talking about that, as we walked through the Bible, we got to Exodus chapter three as God reveals himself to Moses. If you know that story, God comes to him in the burning bush and he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God answers, I am. I am that I am. Right? God is. I've always been. I'm eternal. You tell them, I am sent you. Right? And that's the picture we get of God, that he always has existed and that he's always been. And that he is the creator. And he is the maker of all things. And long before this earth ever existed, God existed. And so when we start to think about that, just in those terms, that God is the creator and he holds all things together... And he speaks things into existence. We begin to see why we need to hear from him. Why we need a word from our very creator. And it makes sense of verses 7, 8, and 9 if you look at those there. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And when we think about God being creator and then we come to Psalm 19 and we read what it says about his words and what he tells us and his law and what he says to us. And we know that our creator, the one that made all things, the one that existed before we ever did. His law is perfect and it's right. And when you start to think of it in those terms and in that way, we need to hear from him. He knows us better than we know ourselves as our creator. So we need to hear from God. We need a word from him. He tells us how to live and how to relate to him because he's the one that put it all together. He is the one that designed it. He is. Right? God is the I am. And so think about that for just a second, but then think of who we are in relation to who God is. Right? God is the creator and we are the creation. God is eternal and we're finite. God makes us in his image, but we're not fully God. And so when you start to think about who we are and what we were made for, we were made to be in his image and to glorify him. That is to reflect back his likeness. Just think about that for a second. We're to we're made to reflect back who God is. So we need God to tell us who he is and what that looks like and how that works. We need to hear from him. Not only on top of that, when you read through scripture and you get the picture of who we are, where we sit right now today is that as we're sinful, that as man, we've turned away from God and we've decided to ignore him and we've decided to not listen to his word and what he says. And we see that all around us, things falling apart and and struggling and limping along because we've turned our backs on God. We've tried over and over to do it our own way. And we see the results all around us. And so our creator who's made us and knows everything about us, we need to hear his word. We need to hear what he says to us. We need as we become a believer, as as Hebrews 2 says, Hebrews 1 tells us beautiful picture of what God has done through Christ. And he is the glory of the radiance of God and his exact imprint and all about Jesus. And then you get to chapter 2, verse 1. And what it very literally says is now become furiously obsessed with the gospel. That's what it says. Become furiously obsessed with the way that I've revealed myself to you now that you see this. And so when we think about moving forward and how we grow closer to God, we need his word. I want you just to think very practically for just a second when you start to think about that, to be furiously obsessed with what God's done or to go back with what we were talking about last week of making every effort and to be all the more diligent. And then I want you to think when you get up in the morning, what makes more sense to get up and go in and flip on your computer and check Facebook or to begin your day with God's word? Or to go in and flip on the news and see what the talking head on the news says about what's going on in the world. Or to come to God's word and to seek his face before you do anything else. When we think of God as creator and us as creation and the way that he's made us to relate to him, it doesn't make any sense to do anything else. The same is true when you're frustrated or things are going bad and you're seeking advice and you don't know what's going on. Do you go to God's word or you turn on Dr. Phil? Sadly, that's what we do a lot of times. I'll see what he has to say. You know, I was thinking about this this week and I went and I was talking to a friend on Wednesday and he said, man, read Zechariah this week. Read it and we'll talk about it next week. And I was like, okay, great. 
Zechariah. Yeah, I'll read Zechariah. And I was reading through and I was thinking about this passage and what we're talking about. And then all of a sudden, there it is, God's word. Zechariah 10.2 says this. For the household gods utter nonsense. The TV is what I thought of, right? The household gods. It's a big place on your wall. You sit there and stare at it. Utters nonsense, right? And then it says, and diviners see lies and they tell false dreams and they give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep and they are afflicted, afflicted for their lack of a shepherd. And I was thinking about that in light of this, that we need God's word to tell us and to show us and to point us. We need the Holy Spirit leading us into truth and bearing witness as we open God's word. Because when we do, it gives us a perspective that we don't have on our own because we are sinful and because we are self-centered and because we are not attuned to God. So we need to come to his word humbly and let him speak over us and tell us. And when our emotions betray us and we're not really sure what to do. And he says, no, 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 this is the way it works. This is the way I've designed it. And this is the way it is. And so what happens when we come to his word and the Holy Spirit and we seek him God starts to turn us from us inwardly focused to him and outwardly focused. I always think of Romans eight fifteen. but you've received the spirit as adoptions of as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right. That picture of you get the Holy Spirit and he comes into your life and he indwells you and then he turns around and he cries out to God. He says, come to me in my word and look at it and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you and I'm going to do these things. And so when we think about we need to have a word from God, not only that we need a word, but why do we need it? We need it because we're finite and we're sinful and we don't see things aright on our own. We need our creator and our God to speak into our lives and to show us. To draw us closer to him through his spirit and his word. And so that's the way we want to say about why do we need it. But then lastly, what does it do? And I'm just going to hit a couple things. Again, when we hit topics like this and we go through, I want to point you to God's word. And I hope that's what you see from this is that you need to be spending times in God's word. But I'm just going to highlight a couple things that God's word does as we come to it. Look at just the verse 7 and verse 8 then. Uh, go back there again for just a second. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true, sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And when we start to just think about what's happening when we come to God's word and how he's drawing us closer, what we see right here is that he gives us wisdom and he enlightens us and he revives your heart and he does these things. And so in our world where we are constantly bombarded with thoughts and ideas, right? His, his Zacharias says the household gods coming at you and telling you so many things. And when you come to God's word and you see that and you come and you, you come before him humbly and you see things that he begins to shape your perspective. He begins to show you as things truly are. Not as how you feel they are or how you may think they are, but he says this is actually how it is. And he begins to show you and to teach you. And, and today, see, people will get very frustrated with that idea if you say that to someone who's not a believer. You need the God of the universe to come and tell you how you're telling. And people go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. They say, I make those decisions, right? I decide what's right for me. That's what people will say today. Right? We live in a very relativistic world. I will decide what's right for me. 
I know what makes me happy. Don't you tell me that God knows or your Bible knows better than I do. And that's what we do. And that's, that's our sinfulness. That's all of us. We do that at different times. We want to be, that's the original sin. I will ignore God and I know better. And you'll get that over and over today. And people will say that, or they'll say things like do whatever makes you happy as long as you're not hurting others. Right? That's kind of the mantra today. And you hear that and you see that and that's what it is. But here's the problem. Under that assumption is that you know what's best for you. And the Bible says that you're sinful and you're broken and you don't know and you need God to come in and to tell you. You need the God of the universe, your very creator, to come down and to give you a word. To show you. And so we think about what happens. It begins to give us true wisdom and true insight in the way things really are. We need to be coming to that. Or you see in verse 11, he says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. God gives us warnings of this doesn't work if you do it this way. Listen to me. That's not the way I made this world to go. And so he gives us warnings and he tells us and he comes in and he enlightens us. And that's why David can say in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey. Talking about God's word. When we start to see that what he's telling us is the truth and it's the way he's designed it and the way the world goes together, then suddenly his word becomes sweeter than anything. Because there's times when we're confused and I don't know how to go forward and I'm not sure what to do. And I go to God's word and then he shows me. He says, no, this is the way I made it and this is the way it goes together. So listen to me. And when that starts to happen and it's confirmed over and over, you go, yes, I want to go back to him over and over and to see that. But there's another thing that happens here, and you see it right at the end of this passage. Yes, he enlightens us and he gives us wisdom and he revives us and he does all these things. But along with that, as that happens, as we see God more and more, as he reveals himself and we come to him. Yes, we're revived. And yes, there's this knowledge and there's all these things. But there's another thing that happens. Our sin is revealed. And not only is it revealed, he begins to deal with it. And he begins to show us and begins to work through that with us. When we see wisdom and we begin to see, be enlightened and we see who God is, we see our own sin. We see who we are more rightly. And we see that so clearly. And you see here, even just the way he talks about de- dealing with different sins. If you look at 11, 12, and 13. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But then he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. That as we come to God's word, he begins to deal with our sins. And he tells us two different ways here. But it says real briefly, first, presumptuous sins. It talks about presumptuous sins are just simply that we're presuming to know more than God. I think I know better than you. I'll go ahead and do this. Even though I see what your word says, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And so when we come back to God's word and we keep coming back, we get convicted and we get shown and he begins to teach us and to tell us and to change our hearts. Right? God creates through his word. In the beginning, God spoke and creation happens. God also recreates through his word. And so we come to it and he tells us and he shows us and he begins to change our heart. But then look at <clears throat> verse 12 there, too, because it talks about declaring me innocent from hidden faults. Right? There's two ways I want you to think about that hidden faults, things that we might miss. One being as you become a believer, you become a Christian, you say, OK, now what do I do? And one of the first things you'll hear, you'll hear that in this church. If you become a believer, you need to spend time in God's word. 
And we'll walk through that with you and we'll help you. But as you begin to read God's word, there's a very real thing that happens in that you begin to see things you didn't know before. And so hidden sins might simply be sins of ignorance. You're a new creation. You've never read the Bible before. And all of a sudden you start to come to it and you go, oh, wait a second. I didn't know that. Right. The sins of a baby Christian is that what we say a lot of times. You've just become a Christian and now you've got things to learn and there's lots to know about God. And we plumb the depths and it takes us a lifetime to ever begin to see them. And we we walk through that. It's like it's like my two year old. Right. The sins of ignorance. He goes around and tries to stick stuff in the electrical socket. That's the thing he's doing now all the time. He's going straight for it with whatever, whatever he picks up. And it's like, stop. And you have to grab, you know, diving to stop him. And get it. It's because he just doesn't know. He doesn't know any better. And so the same with us when we become a Christian, we need to get into God's word and begin to see who God is and the way he relates to us. But there's another way, too, that we could say hidden sins. Yes, there's ignorance of just not knowing, but then there's also being deceived. See, oftentimes we'll begin to think I'm doing pretty good and I got things together and we're going along and we think we've got it. And then there's sins in our life that we've deceived ourselves and we think we've got it. A lot of times it goes to motivations. Maybe you're outwardly doing really well. And if somebody looks at you, they go, oh, look, it's great. He's got it all together. But a, a, a hidden sin would simply be, yeah, I got, you think, oh, I've got it all together. I'm doing these things. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing this and all this stuff. But all the while in your mind, you're going, I'm doing this so people will think I'm such a good Christian. Right? That's, that's the self-deceive. That's the hidden sin. Look at what I'm doing. Right. And you come to God's word and you begin to read it. And guess what happens? He starts to pry those things out. Right. We're so quick to make idols of things in our life. We can even make an idol out of Bible study. That may sound weird to you, but you can make it all about reading. I've read the I read the Bible five times last year and I know this. You see how quickly that can become a pride. It can be an idol. John Calvin says it like this in the Institutes of the Christian. He says our heart is an idol factory. We will make idols out of anything. And so we quickly will start to do that. But when you come to God's word, it reveals our sin. It reveals the hidden sin. Hebrews 4 says it this way. God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Not just outward compliance, but then it begins to get into your motivations. And it begins to reveal to you. And so when you come to God's word and what does it do is it convicts you. It convicts you of sin. And it begins to show you what you're doing in your own heart. And so as I try to point you to read God's word and spend time with it, that's a great sales pitch. It's going to mess you up. It's going to show you how you are and it's going to show you where you're lacking. And you say, well, great. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But but here's here's the good part of that. And this is where we're going to end this morning as we as we begin to do that. And we come to God's word and we're rebuked and he shows us and he teaches us. How do we end up with what it says at the beginning that his law is perfect and it revives my soul and it shows me all these things? How is that possible if it's going to expose me and lay me bare and show me where I'm deficient? It's going to reveal my heart and the ways that I make idols and the way that I try to puff myself up and all those things. And the answer is simply this. When we read God's word, when we come to his word, it's not just his word. It's the word. And what I mean by that is it's the, the God made flesh in Jesus and he's on every page. He's all the way through it. And so as you get revealed and you get exposed, but then guess what happens? There's the way God has revealed himself to you. And he says, I love you. 
And I know you're sinful and I know you're messed up and I've come in your place and I give it to you as a gift. So keep coming back. And I love you and I'm going to reveal it. And guess what's going to happen each time you get revealed and you get split open and there you are and I've messed up. It it pushes you back to your savior. It reveals the need for a savior over and over. And I can't do this. I need God to come down and do it for me. And so it pushes you closer and closer to the God who came down and did what you couldn't do for you. And so right at the heart of it over and over is Christ and the way he loves you and the way he accepts you. And that's the way God has revealed. That's why we need his word. So we need the gospel, the good news of what he's come and done for us and the way he stepped in and done what we can't do for ourselves. And so we want to come back to God's word over and over in that cycle of revealing our hearts and showing and learning more about him and him guiding us and him correcting us and loving us and then pushing us forward. And all the while when that happens, you're leaning and relying on him more and more and more. And that's what it means when you're growing closer to him and walking with him. And so as we we end just this week in this first one, and we're going to talk about different ways that we do that and do that well together, just here, this is, this is the, the thought, what we want as we leave today, is that we would be people of the word, that we would let God's word stand over and above us and all that comes with that and all that points us to is Jesus. And we would see that more and more clearly as we walk together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for creation. We thank you for the way it points us to you, the way it reveals who you are and your just glorious majesty. But we thank you that you didn't just leave us with that, but that you came to us and that you did give us a word. That you've revealed yourself through the inspiration of your scriptures, but ultimately you've revealed to us who you are through Jesus. And that in doing so, that you've showed us the way that you love us and the way that you forgive us and the way that you come to us. And so we just pray that each day we would come humbly to your word, seeking your face and asking you to have your way with us, to show us over and over who you are, that we become ever more reliant on you. We thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.